Thanks so much for joining the podcast Thin Places with me, Malcolm Duncan. You're about to listen to a series called um, Confronting the Idols of Our Age, which was originally preached between the 26th of August 2012 and the 14th of August 2012 at Gold Hill Baptist Church in Buckinghamshire, where I was the lead pastor. Two parts of the series, part five that looks at religion and part seven that looks at consumerism, were preached by friends of mine, Vicky and Barry Thompson. I pray that this really blesses you as you think about how you might confront the idols in your life and in our culture. For more information about my ministry, you can check out uh, my webpage, which is malcolmduncan.co.uk, or you can visit my blog at malcolmduncan.org. I'm now the lead pastor at Dundonald Elam, and you can find out more about that at dundonaldelam.church. And if you'd like to pick up more of my teaching while I was at Gold Hill, then simply go to goldhill.org. Thanks for listening. And I pray that it blesses you. Like the idols we've looked at so far in this series, owning nice things isn't bad. You see, if the thing itself was bad, then it wouldn't be an idol. We have a nice house, an average car. We even own an Xbox, although that was given as a present. Idols become such when we turn the good thing into the God thing. When the thing becomes so important that we can't live without it, that's when it becomes an idol. When we give it the central place in our lives. And so it is tonight with our thinking about consumerism. Consumerism is a social and economic order that encourages the purchase of goods and services in ever greater amounts. As someone who studied law, I'm familiar with the Consumer Protection Act of 1987, which sets out rights of a consumer. We're all consumers. We all buy stuff. The issue is not with the stuff, but what it's bought for. What has the stuff been bought to achieve? When buying stuff goes beyond the necessary, it could be argued that we are in danger of entering the territory of consumerism. Some say that consumerism can be summed up as buying something you don't want, with money you don't have, to impress people you don't like. (laughs) And you might well be sat there thinking tonight, but consumerism, really? Is that really so important that we're going to spend the next few minutes looking at it? Here are a few quotes that will make you hopefully think again. Tony Campolo said, the real issue in our time is consumerism, claiming that it's deadened the human spirit. A famous millionaire once said, whoever said that money doesn't buy happiness doesn't know where to shop. (laughs) T.M. Moore said, in a society rapidly becoming more focused on progress in science, knowledge and technology... Radical individualism would lead to materialism and consumerism as the highest values in life. The way to personal salvation, health, wealth and popularity could be achieved through consuming. Tony Campolo goes on to state, If one embraces Jesus, as many of us in here tonight will have done, one has to raise some serious questions about the Western way of life especially its consumerism. Here's a society that has us buying new cars all the time and has us caught up with fashion 
And every year, women and men are getting rid of their clothes because somebody in Never Neverland has decided that these clothes are now out of style. Not me, obviously. What we are discarding in, the, what we are discarding in this consumeristic society because the, the, the dictates of custom have decided are out of date is appalling. People are spending huge amounts of money on cars that are basically status symbols. And it's contrary to the teachings of Jesus. We're wasting so much money in catering to our pleasure while we allow the basic needs of others to go unmet. Advertising promises us that buying products will meet our deeper spiritual and psychological needs and create well-being, a sense of joy, Give us friends, make us young and happy. That's why we're going to be spending a few minutes thinking about consumerism this evening. And at the start of this uh, message, I want to make it clear, this isn't a rich versus poor thing. It's just as likely that a poor person has as many consumeristic tendencies as a rich person, with perhaps not the same ability to act it out. I want you to watch this advert and talk around your tables as to what it is selling. What ideology is it trying to promote? And secondly, I'd like you to talk about other advertising slogans which promise much more than they can actually deliver. To me, that Coca-Cola advert, they're trying to sell unity and harmony. And if you notice, there's every colour and creed as they pan across the people. They see a black person, see a Chinese person... Yeah, I think you even see someone with a cowboy hat. You see every colour, creed, and both genders equally represented. It's like the day of Pentecost. There's everybody there. And love and harmony. And what brings us together? What is the thing that brings us together? A Coke. And you think, really? And you just wonder at the end of the advert, is Coke really bringing us all together? And if you wonder that, they catch you at the end. It's the real thing. You think, is it Coca-Cola? Really? I just want to take a moment to show you my favourite. Hopefully you won't be offended. Just flick on one, thank you. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. Now, I've never smoked a cigarette or cigar in my life, so I couldn't say that that was not true, but my feeling is happiness probably is not a cigar called Hamlet. In 1999, a four-year-old girl was taken to hospital in Wales as her skin had turned an orangey-yellow colour. After blood tests, it was concluded that the girl had turned an amber colour due to regularly drinking one and a half litres of a drink called Sunny Delight now called Sunny D. She she began to become like that, which she consumed. As she had consumed so much, she made herself ill. Are we all like that? Do we consume too much and make ourselves sick? Albeit perhaps not physically, but spiritually. Relying on the consumption of goods to make us whole, not on the power of God's spirit. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Philippians um, chapter 3. If you're not familiar with a Bible, um, then Philippians is in the New Testament. There are some Bibles available, so the stewards will um, give those out for you. This is a letter to um, the church in Philippi. And I want to read just a few verses from Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. Join with others in following my example, brothers. 
and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In my, in my wife's younger days, she had a catchphrase, which was, it's all going to burn. If you know my wife, you'll know that she's quite passionate and fiery. Um, and everything was going to burn. There's no point in having anything because it's all going to burn. Now, regardless of what you think might happen when Jesus returns, one thing is for sure. You won't be needing your material possessions. Paul here tells us not to have our mind on earthly things. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Why do we consume so many goods? I'd like to suggest three reasons. Credence, comfort, and contentment. You'll have heard it all before. Have you seen Mr. Smith? Have you seen his new car, his new house, his new TV, his new microwave? It doesn't matter what it is. Wow, he must be doing well. And Mr. Smith revels in it. Yet Jesus tells in Luke 12, 15, a man does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. So why do we act like it does? Credence is one of the oldest sins. The devil wanted the credence of being all powerful like God. Joseph's brothers wanted the credence that Joseph had when his father gave him his special coat. We need to wake up and realize that our credence cannot ever come from what we own. It comes from who Christ says we are. If our credence comes from our stuff, then we're always going to be chasing the next best thing to keep up. But if our credence comes from God, that is unchangeable. God says in his scriptures that we are the apple of his eye. We are called children of God, adopted into his family. He says we are loved. He says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our credence comes not from what we buy, but from the fact for us Christ died. I'll say that again. Our credence comes not from what we buy, but from the fact that for us... Christ died. That's where our identity lies. That's the truth of who we are, not the stuff. We can also try to buy credence from others by buying their affections. Christmas is coming again. We had the question at the start as to the best and worst Christmas presents. Most of us this Christmas will have the same problem. For most of us, it won't be affording everything. But more likely, it'll be, what do you get somebody who's already got everything they need? 
Each year, one person in my family buys me something, some tat, we would call it in, uh, in, in the north, which goes in a box and gets given away to somebody else the next year. It's the northerner in me, I'm sorry. But wouldn't it be a thought that this Christmas time, we only buy what we need? I'm not sure I have the bravery to carry that out, because Vicky doesn't need much. But if I don't get her something on Christmas morning, I'm sure there would be trouble. (laughs) The second reason I think that we buy things that we don't need is comfort. There's a popular myth amongst Christians that the aim of life is to get to death as safely as possible. We live our lives around making life as comfortable as possible. So we buy the latest and the best I'm in my early 30s and I can remember a time when we had a three-channel TV and you had to get up to turn it over. (laughs) Now, of course, we have 3D, HD with built-in free view and you can record what you want, when you want. And there's nothing wrong with that. If anyone wants to donate one to me, that would be great. I'll be grateful. But I won't crave it. And I won't crave the attention that having that thing will, will, will receive me. In our nearly 10 years of marriage, we've bought one TV and the others have all been given to us. Christ, quite literally, in two places of scripture, has no place to lay his head. In his birth and again in Luke 9.58. So if Christ was homeless on at least two occasions, why do we think comfort is so important? Colossians 3 verse 2 in the authorised version says, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Do we love anything more than Christ? Is anything keeping us more comfortable than the knowledge that Christ is Lord? Because if it is, that's an idol. The third thing, um, I believe, keeps us buying things is contentment. When we purchase something, endorphins are released, causing us to feel happy. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. God gave us those endorphins in the first place. Some get pleasure from eating chocolate. Some by exercising. Others by watching football, although not too many Arsenal fans with yesterday's results. All of these things are fine, as long as they don't take over. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Why did Jesus say, watch out? He said, watch out. Because it's easy to fall into buying things that we don't need. It's easy for us to have our credence in our possessions. You see, consumerism, or as Jesus calls it, he agreed, isn't always easily identifiable. It's not like adultery. It's not like theft. It's a sin that creeps. And we realise at some point that we want something more than we want God. In the same book that we just read from, Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 to 13, Paul writes this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content 
whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's the secret of contentment. A 20th, 21st century paraphrase is, whether I have a Ferrari or only my feet, whether I have an Xbox or a Commodore 64, who remembers Commodore 64s? It's my first computer. Whether I have a six-bedroom mansion or a cardboard box, whether I have caviar or tomato soup, whether I have an iPhone 5 or a Nokia brick, I am content. My contentment does not rely on stuff. It relies on Christ. We have a happy, sad syndrome in our nation. We have a new car. We're happy. We bash new car. We're sad. God doesn't call us to live in happiness. He calls us to live in a much deeper place. Joy. He calls us to live in joy. Consumerism places the focus on me and not on him. It says I am the center of this life and not Christ. In your, round your tables again, I want you to answer these next questions. Why else, apart from perhaps those three reasons, do people turn to consumerism, to buying things as their release? And can you relate to any of the reasons that I've just shared or perhaps some that you've got around your table? Just spend a few moments doing that. So moving on briefly, we're going to touch on the church. We see consumerism just as much inside the church as we do outside it. We can just as easily become, become consumers within a church context, taking from the church all that we need and treating her like a good that you'll pick from a shelf, that you can pick and choose from. We have to be careful in realising that the church is not another thing on the list of stuff, but she is the bride of Christ. We're not to be consumers of the church, but partners with Christ in her workings. So what's the solution? What is the solution to consumerism? The future is not about going back to the past. It's not about saying, well, there's too much choice these days. It was better when we had only one phone in the village. And the pop man. Did you have a pop man who used to come round in his van once a week and he'd deliver his pop to you? When we only had the pop man come round once a week. The future is not going back to the past. The future is looking forwards to seeing what Christ is doing now. Change comes when we realise that we need to use things and love people. Far too often, I know that I love things and use people. But we are called to use things and to love people. Change comes when we realise that our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone, not what we own. Malcolm said it many times in this series, you can't just remove an idol, you have to replace it with something. On three occasions, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
If that thought gives you a chill tonight, then your possessions mean more to you than Jesus, and they are an idol. It was a stumbling block in the story of the rich young ruler to whom Jesus said, Go, sell your possessions and come and follow me. And the young ruler went away sad because his possessions meant so much to him. He wasn't going to follow Jesus. Final thought before we pray together this evening. Just because you can pay for something, it doesn't mean you can afford it. Have a think about that. Just because you can pay for something, you have enough money in the bank, doesn't mean you can afford it. What we buy with one hand, we're taking something away from someone with the other. And I wonder tonight, has God been beginning to speak into our lives? Those of us who already know and love Jesus, has God been speaking about his place as Lord of your life? And perhaps people, there's some in here tonight who don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Has he been speaking, saying those, those things that you fill your life with, none of those things can compare to me. That was my testimony when I became a Christian in 1998. Not brought up in a Christian home. Went to a, a conference in Derbyshire. Hearing that God um, is a God who loves us so much. Hearing that when you fill your life with stuff, it comes pouring back out. Because no matter how much stuff you have, you never have enough stuff that fills the God-shaped hole in your heart, the God-shaped vacuum. So would you like to pray with me? And we're going to respond to the Lord this evening. Let's pray. Loving, heavenly, gracious Father, we thank you that all good gifts come from you. We thank you that you give us things. And tonight we're not saying that things are bad. We are saying we prioritize you as Lord. We are saying that there's nothing that we desire more than you. We are saying we need you more than we need the next latest greatest, biggest thing. We need you. Perhaps just acknowledge that in your own heart. I need you, Lord. Perhaps whisper it to him. I need you, Lord. <laughs> of all the stuff that comes our way, we hold it loosely. And Lord, we offer everything in our lives afresh to you tonight. If you want to take our house, take our house. If you want to take our car, if you want to take our TV, if you want to take anything of mine materially, Lord, would you just take it? Because there's nothing I desire more than you.
I want to ask a couple of questions, three questions in fact. The first question is, a question, all three questions in fact are questions that Malcolm often asks. The first question is this, is there anybody here this evening who has not yet placed Jesus as Lord of their life? Is there anybody here who has yet to come to Jesus and acknowledge his lordship? And what you've heard this evening, perhaps you've been filling your life with stuff. And you've heard tonight that stuff doesn't satisfy, but Christ does. If you're in that place this evening, and just for my eyes only, just pop your hand up and straight back down. It might well be that everybody in here already knows Jesus, but we need to give an option. So I'm going to give 10 seconds. If there's anybody here tonight who would like to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, for the first time, pop your hand up and straight back down. The second question I want to ask this evening is a question that Malcolm always finishes Sunday evenings with, which is this. If you feel God has spoken to you this evening, in whatever way, through worship, through word, through response. Then again, just raise up your hand and pop it straight back down. Making a symbolic response to the Lord is good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of people making responses to the Lord here this evening. My final question is this evening concludes our series on looking, confronting the idols of this age. And Malcolm's not here. So I just want to ask, over the cumulative effect of these last seven weeks, how many people God has spoken to on these seven topics that we've had over these last seven weeks? Because it's important to make markers in our journey of faith. So if God has spoken to you at some point over these last seven Sunday evenings that we've been sharing together, as Vicky, Malcolm and, Malcolm and I have spoken. And please just raise your hand so we can see. Thank you, God. Pop your hands back down. Lord, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. And this evening we give our hearts afresh to you as we continue to worship you for a few moments longer in our sung time. Do your work, we pray. We invite you, Spirit of God, to minister powerfully. If you'd like prayer, there are a number of ways you could do that. You could pray around your tables, or you could come to the front and um, people down here will pray for you. But don't go from this place if God has spoken without doing something about it. May God bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confronting the Idols of Our Age. I pray that it's a blessing to you and that it helps you think through how you can live faithfully for Jesus in our day and in our generation. For more information about my ministry, go to malcolmduncan.org, my blog, or my website, malcolmduncan.co.uk. And you can join me um, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Duncan or at the church that I lead, facebook.com forward slash Elam Church. You can also check out our website at dundonalelam.church. God bless you and I look forward to you joining me next time.